Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. You know, saints, we can never be reminded too many times or too often about the return of Christ and being ready for this return, this grandiose return of the bridegroom of heaven, Jesus Christ, for his beloved bride. In fact, in the book of James, the Bible tells us that the judge standeth before the door, chapter 5, verse 7, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. That's you and I. That's the body of Christ that he's coming to harvest. If you'll grab hold to this illustration James is giving us, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. In other words, a man who grows a field of vegetables and, you know, corn and tomatoes and whatever he's growing, he looks over that field. He nurtures that soil and those plants and eagerly awaits waits the harvest of the product. And this is the picture that God is giving us here, that the husbandman or the agricultural farmer is waiting to harvest his people. He calls us the precious fruit of the earth here, James 5, 7, and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. And again, he says in verse 8, be ye also patient. In fact, Jesus said, in your patience possess ye your souls. So that's Luke 19, 13. And what could that possibly mean other than our patience, if you will, our enduring to the end with the Lord is essential. In fact, he says you possess your souls or your souls are contingent upon your own patience to wait upon the Lord, to remain in Christ. And as you add this to your vocabulary, if you will, your arsenal, of biblical truth, you're going to see that there's initial and there's final salvation. Only initial salvation is taught in the modern church. In fact, we rarely hear a message, especially now with all these end time signs that we're now right in the middle of. I mean, Jesus is coming, saints, and everybody knows it. But who is it that's putting out the call to the body of Christ to be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when you think? Think not, Luke 12, verse 40. And Jesus taught over and over about being ready, over and over and over. We see it here again. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth not. And then he gives us the specific here. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. So he gives 
us something we, we see in the word repeatedly. You can't have a grudge against somebody. You've got to forgive them. People have been hurt. We've all been hurt. But you know what? We've all hurt others too, right? Right. Let me help you with that. We get real selfish. Well, they hurt me. Well, you know what? You've hurt others too. And they forgave you and God forgave you when you repented. Now just go ahead and do what's right and forgive them. Because Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. So grudge not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. I believe that's the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And let me remind you that Jesus said, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. See, it's contingent upon your own forgiveness. In other words, God requires as a condition, He absolutely, non-negotiably requires that you, when you stand to pray, when you come before Him, that you forgive others. If you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, Forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Mark 11, 25 and 26. Let me encourage you, beloved, if you need to go on a fast so that self is so dead that it has no more energy, if you will, or power to hate or to hold unforgiveness against somebody, let it be. I don't know how anybody could walk with the Lord and never fast. That's the cross. You're saying no to the flesh. You're starving the flesh and you're taking time, special time to feed the spirit. Amen. Look up the fasting category on safeguardyoursoul.com. Drop down menu on the desktop. Drop down. Go to F, fasting. Also, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus said this, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, in other words, if you come before God to pray, and there remembers that thy brother hath ought against thee. In other words, maybe you did him something wrong. So it's a two-way street. Maybe you, you borrowed money and didn't pay it back or something. Whatever. You said something about him and, and it's caused him to have ought against thee. Notice the context here. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar. Now, this is not only in a daily time of prayer, which every true believer has. In fact, we shouldn't just have a prayer life. We should live a life of prayer. Hallelujah. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Prayer is to the spiritual life what breathing is to the physical life, beloved. If you stop breathing, you're going to die. Your physical body. If you stop praying, that's communing with God, you're going to die spiritually. If you don't have a life of prayer, if you're not fighting the good fight of faith, if you're not engaging in a daily relationship with Christ, my friend, you have already fallen away. The good news is that God is calling you to come before him in repentance, fresh repentance, so that he can refresh you and bless you and restore that relationship. Amen. There's no such thing as a real relationship that doesn't have daily engagement of interaction and communication. I mean, gentlemen, try courting or being married to a woman and not even bothering to fellowship with her, to call her, to text her, to tell her you love her. Tell me about that. How's that going to go? It's not going to go at all. It's going to go straight down and it's going to be over. 
And the scripture, Jesus taught that he's the bridegroom and we're the bride. That's an illustration we see in scripture, Matthew 25, 1 through 13, in the parable of the 10 virgins. And we all know only five made it into the bridal chamber of eternal glory because the five of them ran out of oil. In other words, they stopped communing with the bridegroom. They got engaged to him, but then they didn't continue in an engaged heart to heart, eye to eye relationship with him. And they fell apart. You know, let me remind you, friends, God said saves you for a relationship, not not only now, but forever. And if you're not going to have one with him now, you're telling him, I don't want to be with you eternally. I don't want to be in a relationship with you. And he's going to give you your wish when you die. He's going to say, well, you didn't want a relationship with me on earth. I'm sorry about that, but I'll give you your wish for all eternity. Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire. So verse 24, Matthew 5, leave there thy gift before the altar. In other words, if you come to pray before God, Jesus is saying that if you remember that your brother hath ought against you, and God will make sure you remember. Amen. It's called conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? Leave there thy gift before the altar. Don't don't even bother praying, in other words. Don't bother acting like you have a relationship with me until what? Go thy way first. Be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Okay, go, go make it right with your brother. Make the phone call. Go meet with them. You know, whoever it is that there's strife between you and them. And in this case, it looks like, uh, you know, if your brother has ought against thee because maybe you did something to offend them or you might have not even meant it. But God wants us to clear things up with other people in as much as is earthly possible. So what is Jesus looking for when he comes back? Ephesians chapter five. I'm going to try to make this a more of a short message, but let's see what happens here. Ephesians five. Notice husbands love your wives. Verse 25, even as Christ also so loved the church and gave himself for it. Amen. Jesus loved us so much that he came and died, died on the cross for our sins after living a perfect life, having been born of a virgin. He was buried and raised again from the dead, and he's coming back for this precious bride. That's his church. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. A godly man will love his wife. He will nurture her, and he will give his life for her. What does that mean? Well, in a practical way, he gives his life by earning the money, by protecting, nurturing, and loving on his wife. And Jesus provided everything for us before we were even born. And while he knew we would be yet sinners, he came and died for the ungodly. That's you. That's me. Romans 5, 6 through 8. Then he says that he might, he died for his church, his people. Church means, it's the Greek word ekklesia. It simply means called out people or ones. Doesn't mean the little building somebody goes to on Sunday morning. That is designed to be the essential assembly of the church, the people, never forget the church is the people. It's not somebody's organization, small or large, okay? That's not Christ's church. Christ knows exactly who are his, and it's his people. I've had this discussion with numerous people lately, and I tell you what, it's across the board. People just, they aren't participating in the Sunday morning 
deal anymore. So many people. And, you know, those Sunday morningers, if you will, will, will insist that, you know, you got to go to church to be a Christian. No, you got to fellowship to be a Christian. And by the way, why wait till Sunday? Hmm, interesting. Again, some people get really impressed with themselves because they, quote unquote, go to church, which is really not something you can do because you are the church if you're born again and you're in Christ. Uh, they get impressed with themselves by because they have this weekly, you know, meeting at a building they call church. But the early, earliest believers, Book of Acts, met house to house daily. Amen. They couldn't get enough of Jesus. And that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing the organic body of Christ beginning to interact with each other in fellowship, iron sharpening iron, etc. Acts 2.42 pretty much tells us what fellowship is. It's continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the Word of God. That's the Word of God, which we now have in print on record with us. Amen. They didn't back then. But we continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is that? That's Jesus' teachings that he gave to his apostles who gave that those teachings to the world. And uh, what else? Fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. See, that's the four simple elements of fellowship. Without the bureaucracy of some man or group of men haranguing people to become members of their church, we never see Christ or the apostles doing any such thing. If you'd like to see more about that, church membership is a category on safeguardyoursoul.com. Or if you're on the mobile version or the desktop, actually, you can just put in the word membership into the search box. Put your seatbelt on, man. That goes through that topic thoroughly and just destroys that sacred cow. Amen. Godly men watch for your soul, man. They feed you the word of God. Hebrews 13, verse 7 and 17. They want to see you grow in Christ. They don't want to corral you unto themselves so that they can milk you for the money or whatever it is their motives are. They've learned in the modern church that if you'll get people faithful to be a member of your church, then they'll be givers. So that's why they go after this stuff. It's sickening. Okay, so husbands, love your wives, Ephesians 5.25, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Why? That he might sanctify. Are you sanctified today? Well, brother, I'm saved. Well, are you sanctified? If you're truly saved, you got to get sanctified. That means set apart. That doesn't mean I got to clean my own act up and do all my... Yes, it involves you, but it being set apart, sanctified to the Lord, begins with a simple cry to the Lord, a prayer of faith, and you're immediately sanctified. You're set apart to Him. It's not a work. It's a surrender. Amen? It's a surrender. We'll talk about the cross here in a moment. We should never view these things as, well, I've got to do this. No, you just let go and let God. John the Baptist put it the best, I think. That's a personal opinion. He must increase, but I must decrease. There it is. It's Christ in us. That's what holiness is. But God does require that we be engaged in a relationship with him. Jesus said, this is life eternal. This is the whole reason for it, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So Jesus came so that we would be engaged in a relationship with him and the Father to act like we could just get saved and as if it's a punch to ticket and I'm going my merry way to do whatever I want. You got to be kidding me. So gentlemen, if you get engaged to a woman, are you going to be happy if she's consorting with other men in any way? No. Are you going to marry her? No, not at all. So why would the Holy Son of God, the great bridegroom of heaven, who sees everything, dare to bring any person aboard his bridal chamber of eternal glory in the new Jerusalem with the marriage supper of the Lamb and all the bliss that it's going to be? Amen. If they aren't continuing to engage 
engage in a relationship with him into the marriage. He's not going to do it. Doesn't matter how many times you've heard and you believe that you're eternally secure. You're only going to be eternally secure when you're actually in heaven with Christ the Great. Listen, if you're engaged to a man, ladies, you're not married to him yet. And you're not going to be married to him until wedding day. But you have certain responsibilities. Now, that's a word some people who have been poisoned of their own doing, by the way, because they're unrepentant themselves with this once saved, always saved eternal security message. They don't want to hear anything about obedience or personal responsibility. You have never seen people come so unglued when that sham is busted up with the Word of God, as I'm doing it right now. There's endless scriptures that destroy such a false notion. God saves you for relationship, and there is no relationship if there's no communion. Don't say God isn't talking to you if you got a closed Bible. It's all your fault. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. James 4, 8. He didn't back off of you. You backed off of him. Now, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of fresh repentance and telling the Lord exactly what you did in his own words, that you've been a self-idolater. You've done things your own way. You have not sought him. You've tried to work things out yourself in your life and they're not working. They never will. God does that by design. Why? He wants you close to him. He wants you close to him, just like a father and his children. He wants them close to him. He's never so happy as when his wife is at his side and their kids are on their lap. Every parent knows exactly what I'm talking about. And that's all a picture of as his marriage, as he's saying, showing us here in Ephesians 5. It's a picture of Christ and his church. Now, you tell me why the five foolish virgins were shut out of the bridal chamber. There it is. They didn't continue in a relationship with the great bridegroom that they had gotten engaged to. That's Matthew 25, 1 through 13. I encourage you to study and know the first 13 verses, which is what Jesus is teaching. First 13 verses of Matthew 25, 1 through 13, the parable of the 10 virgins. Okay, so Jesus died for his church, gave himself for it so that he might sanctify and cleanse it, not only initially, but ongoing with the washing of water by the word that he might, here it is, see that's initial salvation and present salvation. Verse 26, he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. After you say by his blood, that's Jesus said, now are you clean through the word, which I've spoken unto you. John 15, three, we have right here, the washing of water by the word. That's something that's going on in the life of every abiding believer. John 10, Jesus speaks of salvation and how no man shall pluck you out of his hand. That is, who's he talking to? Those that are hearing his voice and following him, it's present tense. So there's a condition for that promise, as is the case with all of God's promises, as they pertain to the individual. And so those that are hearing his voice and following him are engaging in an abiding relationship with him. And they can know that no man, no other man that is, can pluck them out of his hands. And in John 15 passage, the eternal securists don't even know exists. They don't even want to know exists. Jesus speaks of abiding in him, beginning in verse 1, John 15. And if you do, you're bearing good fruit. I mean, don't say you have a relationship with Christ and you're not bearing good fruit. And that would include the fruit of holiness, Romans 6, 22. And then he warns us in verse 6 there, John 15, that if a person that's saved does not abide or remain, continue in him, they're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire, 
what else could that mean other than eternal hell, the fires of eternal damnation? He makes that clear. So if you depart from the Lord, he's going to depart from you. The Bible tells us he would do that, right? Remember this, Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2. The Lord is with you while you be with him. Let that sink in. The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. If you forsake God, if you neglect, forsake God, he is going to forsake you. In fact, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12 if we suffer we shall also reign with him part and parcel of the christian life of a disciple is you're going to suffer the most important thing you're suffering is the death of the flesh he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin the bible says first peter 4 1 also romans 6 7 then he says if we he's talking us the body of christ individuals if we deny him he also will deny us. If, let me read it again, if we deny him, he also will deny us. I'm sorry, why does it that, why do some people not believe that the Holy Spirit is meaning what he actually says right here? If we deny him, he also will deny us. Then he says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Notice, God always abides faithful, even though sometimes we don't, but we're required to, as the scripture says, return, turn again, return. Hosea chapter 14 verses 1 and 2. That's what repentance means. Repent, get back to the top, come back to the most high. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Amen. So coming back to Jesus, notice if we believe not, if we believe that, if we, if we wane in our faith. You know, Jesus taught that you could believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Luke 8, 13. Some people think you can't, you can't stop believing. That would mean believing is not a choice, which is beyond ridiculous. You can stop believing. We see that some people are going to depart from the faith. You can't depart from something you're not in. First Timothy 4, 1. If we believe not, he abideth faithful. He's always there. He didn't leave us. We left him. He can cannot notice this. He cannot deny himself. It didn't say he couldn't deny you. Right here in the end of verse 13, 2 Timothy 2, he cannot deny himself. He already told you in the verse before that, if we deny him, if you deny him, he also will deny us. That's how the divine economy works. That doesn't mean God's willing that any should perish. He's not. He loves us all, but he gives us free choice. These eternal securities will say, see right here, God cannot deny himself. Himself, so he won't deny you. That's not what it says. It says he cannot deny himself. It didn't say he cannot deny you. It did say he will deny you if you deny him. Second Timothy 2, 12 and 13. If you're sitting under somebody who's teaching eternal security, I want to encourage you to repent and get out from under that deceiving, seducing spirit, because that's what it is. It's a seducing spirit. It's a doctrine of devils. That's a verbatim right there in First Timothy 4, 1 and 2. And that's what caused people to depart from the faith. That's what caused Adam and Eve to depart from the faith. They were in perfect, pristine, holy communion with God, who 
made them. And it was Satan that told them that they would not surely die if they sinned. Well, they took the bait, as many are still taking today. And they sinned. And God is holy, holy, holy. So he separated them from him. Listen, you're in God's house. You don't make up the rules and neither do I. You adhere to the rules. So it's best that we just shut our mouths and pour prayerfully every day over the Holy Scriptures and meditate upon them and listen to what the Father's saying. He's holy, 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 Isaiah 6, 3, Revelation 4, 4. And he says, you be holy as I am holy. Sin separates us from God, saints. And if you're living in sin, if you have any sin in your life, you're not ready to meet Christ because verse 27, here it is. We're going to continue in Ephesians 5, that he might present, he died for his church. That's the blood. That's the death on the cross that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's the present salvation we have in an abiding relationship with Christ. Here it is, verse 27, that he might present, why did he do all these things? That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Somebody said, well, you mean you never sinned? Well, it's not about me, first of all. It's about Christ and what he said. Second of all, if I do sin, Bible doesn't say we have to sin, First John 2, if any man sin, didn't say when you sin because you just can't help it. No, it didn't say that. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. We go to the Lord. We confess our sin right there in chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. So why would any believer have any sin on their record right now? Tell me. Because they're unrepentant. They haven't confessed it. Take it to the Lord. Go to the throne of his grace, which he set up in this beautiful, so great salvation. Hebrews 2, 3, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, where you can come before his throne of grace at any time and obtain mercy for your sin and grace. That means divine enablement and influence on your heart to help in time of need, to cause you to be strengthened, changed, and blessed by God to overcome so that you're not continuing to fall into the same sin. Saints, Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Notice here in the 19th chapter of Revelation, verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. There it is again. The illustration is there again. Namely, let me go over this again because I want you to write these down and go study them. You got to get the pictures, the snapshots that God has given us in his word if you're going to see his kingdom correctly. So many, even listening to me right now, have all of this hodgepodge of convoluted beliefs about God, even though you've been saved for years because you haven't experienced the washing of water by the word like you should have. And you need to be getting all your theology or your knowledge, your view, your perspective of God straight out of his word, beloved. Matthew 25, 1 through 13, parable of the 10 virgins. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, Jesus and his bride. Also right here, Revelation 19, 7 through 10. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb, that's Jesus, capital L, is come and his wife, his wife, that's us, the body of Christ, hath what? Made herself ready. Wow. That's how the bride of Christ is known. Who's the true believer on the earth? Those that are making themselves ready to meet him. They're keeping their garments unspotted. I mean, a godly woman or even a good woman in the natural, when she's engaged to a man, she's preparing for that marriage. She doesn't have time to hearken to the seductions of other men that are trying to get at her. Why? Because she's making herself ready for that one love of that man that she doesn't want to mess up. She doesn't want any interference. She sees herself at that altar and she does all 
her preparing to be there and allows nothing to distract her from that man. And that's what the true disciple of Christ does. He keeps everything out of his way that would hinder this ultimate relationship that holds in it all the marbles of eternity, if you will, with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's loving the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. And complying with the Lord. There are personal responsibilities and duties to any relationship. And if you don't like to hear that concerning God, it's because you just don't love him. You're all fully yourself. You want to just live any way you like. You're not a man of truth. You're nothing but a self-serving coward is what you are. You don't want any relationship with Jesus. You're going to tell him how it's going to be. Oh, aren't you wonderful? You got to be kidding me. That's like a little gnat shaking his fist at an elephant saying, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. Yeah, right. People like that don't have any idea or clue how much of a fool they are. They've been doctored up on this eternal security poison, didn't love the Lord enough to study the Bible himself and see that that was a lie. And now they're going to listen to a message like this and be just furious. And it all boils down to love. They don't love the Lord. Obeying Jesus is an expression of your love for him. If you love me, keep my commandments. What is he saying? He's not saying, prove you love me by keeping my commandments as much as he's probably saying, look, if you love me, keep my commandments. But only if you love me. Only if you love me. If you don't love me, keeping my commandments doesn't do you any good anyway. Because I'm looking at the heart. First Samuel 16, 7. The Lord looks at the heart. And if you don't love me, don't even bother obeying me. That seems to be the import of that passage. I believe it's John 15, 14 or 14, 15. Those are both very similar, by the way. You might want to read them both. So let us rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. That's how you know going to be in heaven right there. Though only those who are making themselves ready on Jesus's terms to be with him. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is what? The righteousness of the saints, the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, verse 9, Revelation 19, write, blessed, write this, he says, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. Whew, isn't that going to be a day? And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell down at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we see the interaction here between John and the angel. But remember, the wife of Jesus is known in that she's making herself ready to meet him. Revelation 19, verse 7 through 9, the wife of Jesus, the true individual and corporate body of Christ, knows that God is holy, 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 even though you're never going to hear that in a local church. That doesn't bring nickels, noses, and numbers. So the business plan is to stay away from truths like that. And even though the Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Lord? Are you holy today? Are you set apart to the Lord today? And if you dare say, well, I can't be holy. Nobody can be. Really? So God commanded you to do something that he doesn't give you the ability to do? That That's laughable. Be ye holy for I am holy. If God commands you to do something, he gives you all the power of heaven to do it. If you're doing things his way and engaging in a 
cross-abiding relationship with Christ. Your life is over and you ought to be celebrating because all you and I have done with our own lives is wreck them, bring misery, shame, and every other evil that sin brings upon ourselves. We ought to be dancing on the street, brother. You hear me? That ain't never going to work. Never. So we might as well say, hey, you know what? After, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and do it God's way. Yeah. And if, if you do, all these things are going to be added unto you. Love, joy, peace, freedom from sin, liberty in the spirit, the Holy Ghost filling you, the love of God flowing in and through you. Wouldn't that be a shame, huh? Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, but seek ye first, 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 put God first always and everything, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. Okay, saints, let's close with this. Boy, you talk about a, a powerful passage here. I want you to read it only in the King James Bible as usual. I'm going to read through it here and go pretty quick because most or all of the new versions have in one way or the other butchered this passage. I believe initially they had removed the whole thing. I actually saw it myself. I, I don't know which corruption it was, the NIV or NAS or something. That's the work of the devil if you ever saw it. Now they've added, I believe some of them had added portions of this back and uh, they chose to decide that Jesus, you know, wouldn't have uh, repeated himself. Um, I'm sorry, it's on record. That's exactly what he said, every word of it. And if he's repeating himself, he probably just wanted us to really get what he's saying, don't you think? And who are you to decide what goes in the Bible? That's why I don't use and never respect and would spit on and burn a Vatican corruption, such as so many people argue to defend. I love my ESV and my NIV and NASB. Yeah, I'm mocking it. It's a devil's garbage is what it is. And people claim to love Jesus, but they don't mind that the devil himself has corrupted the words of Jesus. Wow, that's just a wig flipper right there, if you will. That's just unbelievable. Got to be kidding me. Jesus gave nobody any permission ever to decide that they can remove or add to his word. Those aren't the Holy Bible. None of those new versions. Revelation 22, 18 and 19, if you add to or take away from his words, that means one word or a million. It doesn't matter. Then your name is going to be removed from the book of life. And you're going to receive the plagues of Revelation, which include the lake of fire irrevocably. Mark 9, 43 through 49, Jesus said, and if I, and we're talking about being ready for Christ's return and making yourself ready and being holy as he is holy because he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. If you're not concerned about sin and keeping it out of your life, you're not making yourself ready. You're doing your own thing. This is to the true believer right here. This is to the true bride of Christ who is very concerned about what pleases or displeases their great bridegroom that they're totally fervently expecting upon and looking forward to marrying and being with for eternity. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched where their worm dieth not. That means their consciousness. Look it up. Study it. End of Mark 9. Okay, in hell, the fire is never going to be quenched. The worm or their consciousness is never going to go away. And the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Jesus is saying no matter how severe it may 
may be, seemingly be on earth. Whatever you got to do, overcome all sin. Die to yourself. Fast and pray until you're too dead to do that sin. Don't tell me you can't overcome sin. You love self. That's why you're not overcoming sin. You don't love the Savior. And today's your day to begin the repentance and the transition to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. Verse 45, if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and their fire is not quenched, that is, those in hell. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell. Now, could Jesus be speaking here about the evil eye he mentioned earlier in Mark here, two chapters earlier, verse 20 through 23, maybe an eye full of lust for the things of this world, covetousness, never content with what God's given you. Could it be an eye of adultery, of lust, looking at illicit things God has forbidden you to look at. Why? Because he wants you holy, set apart, and blessed. And sin does all the opposite. It destroys you. Bible says there are those who have eyes full of adultery, right? Second Peter, what is it? Chapter 2, verse 14. It reads this way, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, etc., having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. The reason why many cannot cease from sin is because they have eyes full of adultery. Their hearts are not pure. They do not love God enough to lay down their lives in this world, to stop, get before God, cry out to Him, and deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow Christ. In the crucified life, which is the only way that you can live unto the Lord, that's what He prescribed for your daily life is that you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 and 24 if you're going to follow Jesus you got to do it his way if you're doing it any other way than the crucified life then you're not doing it his way and uh, let me give you a little clue as to why you've never probably even heard this message it's right there in the gospels because you're sitting under a wolf you call him your pastor but he's not telling you all of these things we're talking about in this message this is Bible this isn't my message you got to follow Jesus his way or you're not following him at all they want you to believe that following Jesus basically is just going to their church every Sunday morning that's just ridiculous. Jesus never told anybody to go be a church member. Notice Matthew 10, 38 and 39. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Amen. Are you putting Jesus first today, friend? That's what he's calling you to do. Verse 47, if thine eye, as we close, offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Beloved, you're going to have all your everything restored in a perfect body and glory. So don't worry about what you lose here other than losing your life for Christ. That's what he just said right there. 39, Matthew 10. He that findeth his life shall lose it. Is your life all about you getting this and getting that in this fleeting world? Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So Jesus says, he that findeth 
loneth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it for eternal glory. There's going to be a great flip-flop happen soon. There's never been two more defined and severe contrasting existences as there is in found in heaven and in hell. The Bible says of heaven, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. The Bible goes into great detail about the streets of gold and all the other amazing things that are going to be the bliss of being with God for eternity. And Jesus is so severe also because he loves us concerning the opposite. Those who don't go to heaven, they go to hell. In fact, notice that the Bible says that hell is going to be a place of complete consciousness. There will be no nulling of the feelings. You're going to feel everything in eternity. The only thing that's going to change is your location. When you die, if you die today, you're going to go immediately to glory if you're in Christ. And if you're not in Christ at the moment you die, you're going straight to the bowels of eternal damnation, never to escape. There is no release date from that prison of fire. And you're going to be totally conscious in it, Luke 16. Also, Revelation 14, 10 tells us that there's going to be torment with fire and brimstone in hell. Matthew 8, 12, Jesus said, weeping and gnashing of teeth is going to be in hell. And that denotes the great regret for not serving God that people are going to experience for all eternity. Great, deep remorse. Also, Luke 16, 25, a place of eternal remorse or devastating, ongoing, eternal regret. I can't even imagine. Also, Luke 16, a place of torments, it says, no rest day or night forever. Revelation 14, 11. Jesus called hell a furnace of fire with wailing. Notice all of the detailed descriptions of hell the Bible gives us. This is just a sampling of a few things. It says, Isaiah 33, 14, a place of everlasting burnings. Revelation 20, 15, a lake or ocean of fire, unquenchable fire, Mark 9, outer darkness, Matthew 22, 13. The blinding loneliness is going to be excruciating. I wouldn't want to go there. What about you? Okay, but if you're not loving God on his terms, you're making plans to go to this place, friend. That's what you're doing. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not. There'll be no second chance, by the way. It is appointed unto men once, just once to die, but after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. Luke 16 also, no second chance to escape ever. Psalm 18, 5. Hell is a place of sorrows. Nothing but sorrow. No joy, no water, no happiness, no smile ever. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. Hell is a place of everlasting destruction. Everlasting. You're going to be salted with fire as a sacrifice who chose to go to hell. And that's what Jesus says as we close in Mark 9. Their worm dieth not. Hell is a place where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Their consciousness is not ever dead. It never dies. In other words, they're going to feel everything. Verse 49, for everyone shall be salted with fire. What does that mean? Salt is a preservative. He's conveying that every person that goes to hell is paying for their own sins because God's holy, 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 and he's just. And so sin must, the price for sin must be paid. And those who reject God's sacrifice, his full payment for sin, Jesus said it is finished or paid in full on that cross, John 19, 30. But anybody who's not in Christ has rejected Christ and they're going to have to pay for their own sins forever in hell. That's the story. That's the overriding truth here. 
You're going to go to hell and pay for your own sins. God is holy, 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 and he's just. And the payment for sin must be remitted. It must be paid. So it's going to glorify God for those who rejected his only begotten son that he sent to die for them. It's going to glorify him who is just to see them and to allow them and to cause them to pay for their own sins because they rejected his payment for their sins, which is Christ, who was forsaken for but a moment that we might be forgiven. This is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, my friends, who came to this earth and he laid down his life in death on the altar of the cross to redeem you and I. The just died for the unjust, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. He paid the full price one time, the scripture says, and said, it is finished or paid in full. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might, why? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive, raised up by the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. My friends, Jesus came into this world, the Bible says, to save sinners. I want to encourage you to get before God today. Perhaps call a Christian if you're already saved and you were saved and you're backslidden. That would be a great thing to do also. But go before God. Stop your life and repent. Repent. Turn to God, admit you've sinned, and ask Jesus to take over your life from this moment forward, thanking him that he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and raised again for your justification. God does not make it hard. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Have repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20, 21, Paul said, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 10. Also on safeguardyoursoul.com, on the menu bar, we have a page called Peace with God. I want you to go there if you've never been saved and read those words. It's not long. And at the end is a prayer. I want you to pray that prayer from your heart with everything that's in you and surrender your life to God today and be washed in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, because he's coming soon. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several, many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.